All right. Well, I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We get to um, jump into the life of Abram this morning. What does Abram's name change to eventually? Abraham. Abraham. Kind of ironic because Jewish people don't eat pork, so to add ham to the end of your name, I don't know. Maybe that, yeah, okay. Um, Lots of complexities there we're not going to talk about today. So we're going to just talk about Abram. We'll get to Abraham next week, and we're going to be in chapter 12 is where we're going to start. Before we jump into that, question for you. How many of you are in driver's ed right now? Driver's ed. Okay. Now, I have a question. Um, Do the instructors still have, like, do the cars still have a steering wheel on both sides and a brake on both sides? He has a brake. So the, the, the instructor can slam on the brakes, right? Okay. So if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, in driver's ed, you know, when you're learning to drive, we got the teenager in the you know, driver's seat, and the instructor sitting next to him, but he has his very own brakes, just in case he feels like he needs to take over, take control, slam on the brakes, save both their lives, right? Okay, so that's why it's there. Now here's a question. Have any of you in driver's ed had your instructor need to use those brakes? Dan did. Dan, I feel like there's a story behind it. And then Spencer. It, it was lame. It was just not coming to a complete stop at a stop sign. Oh, so he enforced it. Gotcha. All right. Spencer? She hit her road, and I turned, and he was being dumb. So I turned into the left turn lane, and then he slammed on the brakes. Like, well, other cars were coming, and I freaked out, and I called him an idiot. How'd that go? Uh, I, got a, I, I still got an A for the day, but it was still like that. It was a tense A. Got it. Okay. On the edge. On the edge. All right. Well, what I'm getting at here is actually what both of you guys, you kind of both implied this in your stories, is that you didn't really feel like they needed to use those brakes when they did, right? Okay. And what did it communicate to you when they used those brakes? That's exactly right. They didn't trust you, right? That you weren't trusted to make the right decision as you were driving that car. Now what's interesting about this analogy is that it really describes how a lot of us live our relationship with God, okay? When it comes to our relationship with God and our faith in God, God's in the driver's seat, but we like to be in this passenger seat. And when things start to get a little bit weird, a little bit goofy, a little bit difficult, a little bit confusing, we sure would like to have these, our own brakes that we could slam on the brakes and take control of the situation. And when we do that, what are we communicating about God? We don't trust him, just like the instructor doesn't trust the student driving, right? Okay, and that's what we're going to see in the life of Abram this week, okay? As we read the beginning of this story to Abram, um, we're going to see that God is driving him in a certain direction, and at some parts of the road, Abram slams on the brakes, and takes control of the situation. We're going to see how that works out for him, and how does God respond, okay? So open up in your Bibles to chapter 12, and we're going to try to go through this pretty quickly. That's one of my goals. Um, I've not done the best at that, but here we go. Go back to 11 verse 26, 11 26. Okay, so in 11 26, we see when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and uh, Haran, okay? Verse 27, now these are the generations of Terah, And it talks about Abram. And if you jump down to 29, 
What does it say there? Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And then jump down to 30. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now that's going to be really important for us, okay? But Sarai, she can't have children. So jump down to 12 and we get to this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now before we jump into this passage too much, I'm going to go ahead and throw the theme of our passage right out there because we're going to look at three different chapters, 12, 13, and 14, and we're going to ask, what's tying all these chapters together? And the theme of our passage is that God desires to bless Abram, but obstacles keep coming up that might keep Abram from getting this blessing, okay? So it's like a big blessing obstacle course, okay? We want you to get the blessing, but things keep popping up that keep getting in your way. And in this part that we just read is the blessing. God says, hey, Abram, come out of your land because I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to give you lots of descendants and I'm going to make your name great. Oh man, I should have put this up sooner, but here's our fancy slide. Thank you, Heidi. Getting to know God. We're in God and Abram. So what's the main theme? The main theme is that God desires to bless Abram with a land and a large family, but obstacles keep coming up that might keep Abram from this blessing. Now, I want us to think for a minute, really quick, about what's happening here. Remember back at the Tower of Babel. What was the problem with Babel? What were they trying to do there? Drew? They're trying to make a stairway, like, That's right, because they wanted to make it easy for God to come down. They wanted to serve God's needs so that God would come down and bless them, right? And it was a wrong view of God. That was the big problem, is they thought God had needs. They thought that if we help God with his needs, then he'll come and he'll bless us. And God says, no, that's not who I am, okay? He separates them all over. And then God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to show you who I really am. And this is how we're going to get to know God. We're going to get to know God through Abram. And as we get to know God through Abram, what does he say? He says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing and those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. So it's through Abram that God is going to make himself known as through Abram that we're going to get to know God. Now, right at the beginning, Abram has a pretty big decision to make, doesn't he? How many of you have had to move before? Okay, move homes, yeah? All right, you've had to move. And so he says, I want you to move. Now, this is before internet. This is before Skype. This is before um, telephones, right? So when you move, you're really saying, I want you to say goodbye to everything and everyone you've ever known. And you're going to go to a place that you've never been, you've never seen, you don't know what's over there. And you're just going to have to trust me. And I want you to do that. And how does Abram respond to that? He obeys, which is pretty amazing. Okay, considering the circumstances, there's not a whole lot in there for him. All right, he has, just has to trust this God that um, is telling him to get up and go. And that's what we see in verses 4 through 9, is that Abram obeys. He gets up, he follows God, and he goes to the land. And that's where we fin run into our first obstacle. Okay, what does verse 6 say? 
12.6, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem, the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So our first obstacle is this. There's already people there. Come on, God, you brought them to his own fancy new land, and there's a whole bunch of people living in it. How would you feel if you got to move into a nice new house and you got there and the family was still living in it? Wouldn't feel that great, right? Be a little bit awkward. Who are you going to bunk up with? Are you going to share a room with someone? Right? What does Abram do? Where is he going to live? There's already a bunch of people there. So we have our first obstacle. But in the midst of this obstacle, God promises, look all around you, despite all the people, this is the land I'm going to give you. And this is the point where we're like, yay, Abram, you did a great job. You obeyed God. Can the story just end there? But no, it doesn't, right? What happens next is that Abram is in the land of Israel and a big famine comes. All the food runs out, okay? And Abram gets scared. And so here's Abram in the driver's, you know, the passenger seat. God's in the driver's seat. This is the part where Abram slams on the brakes. And he says, wait a minute, let me take over. This doesn't look so good. Okay, so... What does Abram do? Well, it says that there's a famine, and so Abram leaves the land. That should be interesting to us. You, you, God just gave you this land. He said, this is your land. Why are you leaving it? He leaves the land. He goes down to Egypt. And if that wasn't bad enough, when he gets to Egypt, he sees that Pharaoh's there, and he's afraid of Pharaoh. And so what does he tell his beautiful wife, Sarai? He says, because you're so beautiful, I'm afraid that Pharaoh's going to look at you, and he's going to say, I'm going to go kill this guy and take you to be my wife. And so please just tell everybody you're my sister. Okay, just, we'll just go with that plan. And what happens is they do that and Pharaoh says, oh, she's a sister. That means she's up for grabs, right? She's, she's available. She's single. And so Pharaoh brings her into his house. Now let's think about how these are obstacles. The obstacles here is God promised to give Abram land and a large family. Well, he just walked away from the land because there's a famine. And it's kind of hard to have a large family without your wife, right? Okay, so we've got some problems and obstacles. How is God going to follow through with this blessing if Abram has slammed on the brakes here? Well, as we read through the story, we realize that God does show up. God actually afflicts Pharaoh and his house with a great plague, Pharaoh figures out it's because that he's taken Sarai that there's this plague. And so he gives Sarai back to Abram and says, get out of my land. And so in one quick response, because of what God has done, Abram goes back to the land he was promised with his wife. Yay, problem solved, right? Okay, so that was one big obstacle that they had to get over, and they get over it. And then what happens? Well, what happens next is we see in chapter 13 that they come into the land... And this whole time, Abram has had his little nephew Lot with him. And they get to the land, and they, Abram and Lot, over time, have become very, very rich. Now, this doesn't mean that their bank account was really full, or that they were carrying gold coins everywhere. What it means is they had lots of cattle, lots of sheep, they had camels, they had donkeys, they had lots and lots of livestock. That's how rich they were. And what do you need for livestock in order to keep them going? food, right? And so they come to this point where they say, you know what? There's not enough space in this land for you and for me to have all of these livestock. And we come to another obstacle. The obstacle is, I thought the land was going to go to Abram, but there's not enough 
food for Abram and Lot. So what's going to happen now? And it's amazing to see how Abram responds. Abram says to Lot, you know what, Lot? I'm going to let you choose. You choose, you want to stay in this land of Canaan, or do you want to go down to the Jordan Valley, where it, honestly it looks a lot nicer, and keep your you know, livestock all down there. And, and so Abram has really taken this promise and this blessing that God is saying, I'm going to give you this land, and he's just holding it out there and saying, let's see what happens. And Lot says, well, you can have Canaan. I'm going to go down to Jordan. And so what happens is the blessing is upheld. And Lot leaves. And all of a sudden, again, the obstacle has become has overcome, and Abram is left in the land by himself with all of his big crops, and still the Canaanites are there. So that's the next obstacle. And then we get to chapter 14. And in chapter 14, we get to a lot of names that are really hard to pronounce. But the general gist is this. You've got these four kings that are in charge of all of this region. Okay? They would come by. They'd probably collect taxes and things like that. They're in charge of this region. And there's five kings that decide, we're sick of you. We're going to rebel. We're done being under your charge. And they're the ones who are around Canaan. And so when they say that, the four kings come on like a reign of terror. And they come down one side of the land and back up the other side of the land. And they just conquer and crush everybody in their way. Now remember, this is the land that Abram has been promised. So in this episode, we see Abram has been promised this land, but there's these big, powerful kings that are in charge of this land. So how is Abram going to get it if these big, powerful kings are in charge of it? Well, what happens is when the kings destroy these nations that have rebelled against them, they take Lot with them because Lot is one of these people that's around these nations. And so Abram has to go and rescue his little nephew. And in the process of rescuing his nephew, he beats up on the four kings, he crushes the four kings, and he chases them away. So the final obstacle that these kings are in charge of the land is taken care of once again. Abram has conquered these kings. And when he comes back from conquering the kings, what, the way that it would work back in that day and age is you would have all this spoil. You would get all the stuff that you conquered. So you'd get all the cattle, all the people, all the riches of the kings that you conquered. He comes back with all of it. And the other kings who had rebelled are kind of like, well, Abram, I guess you can take your portion since you're the one who came and rescued us. And Abram says, I don't want any of it. You can take all of your riches back with you because he's going to trust that God is going to be the one to make him great. He's going to trust in this blessing, and he's not going to try to get the blessing by conquering other kings and taking all the spoil for himself. So do you see how that theme is being played out? God says, I'm going to bless you, but then we have obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that keeps becoming in the way and keeps being overcome. So let's talk about you guys and how this applies to your own life helpful if we went forward. Abram and me. Okay? So why, where does Abram's life intersect with your life? Well, I want you to go back and look at 12 verse 3. 12 verse 3. It says there, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that's a really important statement. And that's a statement that we see throughout history that God is saying, I am going to bless not just the Israelites, 
I'm going to bless everybody because of my relationship with Abram. And one of the places we see that popping up is in Acts chapter 3. Now, without turning in your Bible, what's happening in Acts? Where does Acts come in the Bible? What's it come after? The Gospels, okay? So we're assuming the story of the Gospels has finished, right, David? So what does that mean? Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's come, he's lived, he's died, he's rose from the dead, and he's in heaven. And what is Acts all about? Does anybody know? What's spreading? Hmm? Okay, it's, it's tied to this spreading. Elise? Sure, in Acts, what's happening? What's the, what's the purpose of Acts? What is spreading in Acts? The gospel spreading. And as the gospel spreads, the church is growing, right? And so here, this is where we're at in history. And Peter reaches all the way back into Genesis chapter 12. And he says, do you guys remember how God told us that in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed? He's talking to a bunch of Israelites. He says, well, that's happening right now. It's happening because God sent Jesus to die for our sins, and so we need to turn from our wickedness, and this is how we get the blessing. And after Peter comes Paul, and Paul takes that same message to all the Gentiles, which is most of you. I don't know if any of you are Jewish. If you're not, then you're a Gentile, okay? And so this blessing has spread through the New Testament, through Jesus, to all families of the earth. So God has promised to bless you, okay? Um, and Jesus is the way that we get that blessing. And the blessing is that God will provide for us, just like God said he was going to provide for Abram with this land, and that God will give us a future, okay? Just like he told Abram, you have a future. You're going to have generations after generations after generations come after you. And we get this blessing only by following Jesus. And just like we, oh my goodness, I am going backwards again. Here we go. And just like Abram, we also have obstacles that keep us from trusting in God's blessing. So what are the obstacles that are keeping us from trusting in God's blessing? Well, for Abram, the biggest obstacle he had was himself. Okay? Nothing got Abram in more trouble than his own decision. His own taking the wheel and slamming on the brakes and saying, there's a famine, you know, Pharaoh's in the land. And what was really motivating Abram to not trust God was fear, right? He's afraid that this famine is going to wipe him out, and he's afraid that Pharaoh is going to wipe him out if he sees that he's got this beautiful wife, Sarai. And so I want to ask you, what is it that's keeping you from trusting God, and where does fear play a role in that. So let's think about this fear that God won't take care of you. That's really what Abram is wrestling with during the famine, that he won't be taken care of. How do we and how do you fear that God's not going to take care of you? Well, it's been a while since we've had a famine in the United States, and we do have grocery stores all over the place, so it'll probably still be a while. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're always going to have money to go and buy the food, Right? Some of us may fear that our families are going to run out of money and we aren't going to have a fridge full of food. 
Or how about the fear of losing a parent? Okay, what if my mom or my dad gets sick and dies? What if their plane crashes as they come home from a business trip? Or maybe it's divorce. What if my parents separate? Okay, so we have fears of how am I going to make it without them? How am I going to make it through middle school, through high school, with only a mom or only a dad? Or what if both your parents died? What's going to happen then? Can God really bless me in the midst of that? Or maybe it's a fear of moving, that your dad is going to have to change jobs or your mom has to change jobs and you have to pick up the whole family, go to a new place, no friends there, you don't know the people there. Okay, And so it's this constant question of, am I going to be provided for? Am I going to have fun? Am I going to have friends? Am I going to have food? Am I going to be able to have a happy, normal, safe life that I want to have, that I think I should have? There's also a fear that we have of other people, right? So he walks, Abram walks into the land and he says, Pharaoh, okay? Who's he not thinking about? He's not thinking about God, right? He's not thinking about God and his blessings. He's thinking about Pharaoh and what can Pharaoh do to hurt me? And we are just like that. For us, God can seem really small and people can seem really, really big, right? We're not afraid of God and we're not thinking about his blessings. We're afraid of the people that we see in front of us. How about the fear of not fitting in? How many of us, we, we hide our Christian identity so that we can be in the in crowd, in the in group? We don't want anybody to know that We have a God that has told us he's going to bless us and that we serve that God. Because if they did, well, then we might not be in the in-group. Well, who's big and who's small in that situation? God's small and your friends are big. I want to be, this is mostly important to me, is I want to be in this group. Okay, it communicates that we don't trust God to bless us. There are students that are sold out for Christ in their high schools and in their middle schools. And when you're sold out for Christ, you're communicating to those around you, I care more about getting God's blessing than I do about what you're going to think about me. Okay? And when we do the opposite, we're communicating just the opposite. Why is it that we're different people in church than at school or at sports? Why are we afraid to show that side of us? Here's a question. Why do we make fun of other people when... I don't know. There's a number of things you could think of. They, let's say they mispronounce the name of a rock band. I mean, oh, you stupid idiot. You know, it's not how you say it, you know? Or why do we make fun of people when they wear a different fashion than what everybody else is wearing? Or why is it that we look down or make fun of people when, you know, we're talking about something in the news or something in sports or something that happened in class the other day and they don't know what we're talking about? Like, you don't know what I'm talking about? What's wrong with you? Where where have you been? Your head been in the sand? Why do we feel like we have to do that? Or why is it that we take our phones and we sit there and we do little Snapchats and texts and and our friend says, what are you chatting about? Nothing. (laughs) We giggle, we pull it away from them. We don't want them to see. Huh? Okay, why do we do that? Why is it that we get in groups and we look across the room at somebody and we point at them and we whisper to the person next to us and we giggle together and and then we just leave them out of that circle? And why don't we just love one another? Why don't we think about, man, I wonder what I'm really communicating to my friends when I do that. Why don't we just be kind to them? Why don't we acknowledge that, you know what, 
I didn't know how to pronounce the name of that band either. You know what? Sometimes I like to wear different fashions too, okay? Sometimes I just wear something that's goofy and it's fine. You know what? I don't know everything about everything. I don't know this sports player or this staff or what happened in class the other day. Why is it that we're so afraid to say that we don't know stuff? Well, I think it's all because we really don't trust that God's the one that's going to bless us. And in our minds, blessing is being cool. We want to be on the in crowd. We want to be in the inside. And if that means putting other people down and keeping them out, then that's just whatever it takes, which means we don't trust that God can give us the joy of being you know, in this in crowd, the same joy, um, and so we have to take matters into our own hands, even if it hurts people along the way. Now, these are just a couple obstacles that could show up in us trusting God for blessing. Fear is just one obstacle. But I want to look at what happened to Abram when he gave in to his fears and he didn't trust God. What happened to Abram? Well, if you guys look at verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17, we see, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Who did it? Who intervened? God did. Who made the big mistake? Abram did. So here Abram has taken things into his own hands and God intervenes. He steps in to save him. Do you believe that God is able to help you? Do you believe that God is able to deliver you even when you are the one who's caused the problem? Well, God is. That's exactly what we see in the life of Abram. We see here that God could have left Abram to deal with the consequences of his own distrust, but he didn't. He could have said, you know what, Abram? I promised you the land, I promised you a family, and you blew it. All right, you're on your own now. But that's not who God is. That's not the God that we're getting to know in the life of Abram. What we see is that if we are like Abram, if we follow God, God won't leave us to deal with our bad decisions. Now, he may let us learn a lesson from them. He may um, let us learn that we need to return to him and give us some time to think about our bad decisions. We see in the life of Abram that God loves us and cares about us enough that even when we're the ones who cause the problems, that he's still willing to come and help and deliver us. And I want you to see how Abraham changes, or Abram changes, after God does this. After God delivers Abram from his big mistake, we see Abram do two different things. First, he tells Lot, you know what, Lot? Yeah, there's a lot of cattle here. You choose the best land and I'll go wherever I'm supposed to go. That's a huge step of faith in the right direction. Abram has flopped back to saying, I'm going to trust God's promises. I'm going to trust that God can uphold his blessing to give me a land and a family, and it's not going to depend on whether or not Lot chooses my land or that land over there. So you know what, Lot? You just choose wherever you want to go, and I'll go the other way. And second, after he goes and he conquers those kings and he comes back with all the spoil, okay, and the king of Sodom tells him, you know, you just take whatever you need to take, Abram says in chapter 15, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and share of the, the share of the men uh, who went with me. Okay, so he's saying here, 
I trust that my God is the one who's going to bless me. I'm not going to have to say, well, I had to go out and get my blessing for myself because God wasn't doing anything. He says, you know what? You take all that wealth back. I trust that God's the one who's going to take care of me. And at the end of the day, this is the message for us, that our lives should be like Abram's. We should see that God's blessing that has been promised to us, while there may be obstacles in our way for us to getting it, that if we just surrender and trust him, that that is the quickest way to receiving his blessing. And as God helps us over obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, that our trust in him should grow. I can tell you that from Angel and my, our own lives, you know, we had to raise lots of money to be in Israel to be missionaries for six years. And the first year it was scary and God just, boom, slammed a whole bunch of money into our bank account really fast. And we were like, wow, God really provided for us. And year after year after year, guess what? It became easier and easier and easier for us to trust that if we needed something, God was going to provide it. Because every time we needed something, he did. And it should be the same in our relationship with God. That while obstacles come up, even if we're the ones who caused the obstacle, we should keep a record of the fact that God continues to be faithful and that God continues to deliver us. And we don't need to just, if you're like, I had, I'm not sure if I've had any of those experiences, well, you don't have to just rely on your own experience. Look back on what God's already done in the life of Abram. That's why we have this word right here. So we can say, if God would do this for Abram, and this blessing has been extended to me through Jesus, well, then God will do this for me too. And so what I want to end with today is this quick challenge for you. First, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, what is keeping me from trusting God to bless me? What is keeping me from living only for him? Okay, where are the relationships in my life? Where are the, what are the motivations in my heart that I want to be this way and I don't trust God to bless me? Second, pray and confess these to God and ask him to help you trust that he is able to bless you. Do you trust that God is able to overcome these obstacles and to bless you? And finally, I encourage you to grow. Look at the ways that God has already blessed you and how he has already overcome obstacles and watch how your trust in his blessing grows with each time he overcomes your obstacles. Don't just be like someone who keeps getting in jail and keeps getting bailed out and forgetting to thank the person who bailed you out and continuing to do things that get you back in jail. We should have a record in our minds of God has been faithful. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. So that when we get into a bind, we're able to look back and say, God was faithful then. He'll be faithful now. I trust that he's going to bless me. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for the example that we see in the life of Abram. And most importantly, we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself through this relationship with a man, a nomad, who is off in another land, and that you decided to fulfill the need to reveal yourself by blessing Abram and through Abram blessing us. We thank you that we have um, the blessings of Abram through Christ. And I ask that this week and in the days to come, that we'll be more aware of the ways that you have blessed us, that we'll be more aware of the things that we do to resist your blessings, and that we'll be um, confessing those things so that we can be in line 
with what you want us to be in line with and that we will trust in you in order to receive the blessing that we see here in Genesis 12. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming, guys. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. Get some rest and finish strong.